seated. Well, good morning, redeemed saints. Good morning, forgiven sinners. You know, one would think that after 4,000 years, we would have figured it out by now. Beginning with Abraham and extending all the way forward to today. You see, God has this penchant for doing the exact opposite of what good rational people expect. Abraham, for example, an old man and his nonagenarian wife, Sarai, start a family in their old age. And the family becomes the genesis of a people of God that God will use for the salvation of the world. And then you got this Hebrew infant Moses, born of a slave woman, who had to put Moses out into the river in a basket that was received, and he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised and taught the ways of the palace and was the prince of Egypt. How about the time the prophet Samuel goes to anoint the future king, and he goes to the tiniest clan of all the Jews, and then has Jesse parade all his seven sons in front of him to see which one is the new king. Starting with the oldest, going to the youngest. And Samuel has to say, no, Jesse, are there any more? Well, yeah, the baby brother out tending sheep. He's the one. We cannot forget, my beloved, how that nine-foot Goliath who was all decked out in armor with superior weapons of war met this ruddy shepherd boy on a field armed with only a slingshot that brought him down. We zoom out a little bit more. We see all the powerful nations of the world. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Babylonians. But God chose this little bickering, infighting group of tribes called Israel to be His beloved people. God's whimsical character typically does a total reversal of, we th- of what we think God should or will do. The Jewish scriptures are loaded with examples of this great reversal. And this is where we pick up today on another great reversal. This is a story of how God chooses a middle school-aged girl and a post-menopausal woman from a backwater village to be the bearers of the prophet and of the new Davidic Messiah. The scene is this. Mary is now pregnant, and she goes to see her relative Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Now, they think this is about eight miles west of where Jerusalem is today. When Mary comes to the door, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, which we know to be John the Baptist, does a flip. 
And Elizabeth begins to proclaim in the Spirit, oh, why has this happened to me? That the mother of the Lord comes to me. And blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And then we pick up Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me and his holy name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy according to the promise He made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants, forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, for about three months and then returned to her home. The Magnificat, Mary's song, as it is called, is a song of a young peasant girl who was chosen not from the upper echelon of society, not from the well-educated, not from the one who has been primed from birth to take on this role, but she is chosen from total obscurity. This young teenager who has caused quite a fuss with her unexplained pregnancy, I would imagine, and who is the living embodiment of God's doing the exact opposite of what we think, well, she now sings about God's habit about what we do that God would never expect, nor would we. Mary, who describes herself as a humble servant girl, is now described as queen mother who will give birth to a king. God uses the humble to scatter those who are proud. Those who are hungry will soon be filled, and the rich will be sent away empty. Those who are not even noticed by people in society will become the somebodies of the world that make a difference. And those who are in power will soon be deposed. Those who are oppressed will be lifted up, while those who are oppressed will be brought low. Even Jesus picks up on these themes of his mama later in his own ministry. When he teaches, the first will be last and the last will be first. He reminds Peter and the other disciples, if you want to be great, you have to become small and servant of all. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it first. 
And then he goes into the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus extols the virtues and the values that coarsely rub against the way culture lives and behaves. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the high and mighty. Blessed are the gentle people. Blessed are those who hunger, not after food, but are starving for God's ways to govern the world. Blessed are those who forgive and don't hold a grudge. Blessed are those whose hearts are clean. Blessed are the ones who do the hard work of making peace. Blessed are those disciples who are persecuted for loving Jesus. Blessed are the members of the church when others revile you because you say, I am a Christian. Now, why do we think that God works this way? with these great reversals that appear in, throughout the entire biblical story. Why does God do this? Well, perhaps God works and speaks this way in order to keep the community of Jesus, that is you and me, from getting too comfortable with itself. Yuri Avneri, an Israeli human rights activist, has an interesting aphorism that speaks to this issue. He says, when, when you're at the top, you love stability. But when you're on the bottom, you want change. Oh, that's so true. When we're at the top, we love stability. But those on the bottom yearn for change. That one statement is spotlight on the character of how our world works, my friends. So when Mary, for example, declares that God has filled the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty, she is not extolling the virtues of poverty or the vileness of wealth. On the contrary, those who are poor are blessed because they are able to embrace the fact that nothing is theirs. And that everything they have is a gift of grace from the Almighty. And because it's a gift of grace from the Almighty, because they have nothing themselves, they're more apt to share. And it's easy to share if you own nothing. And when you own nothing, the irony is you own everything. The rich, on the other hand, they're not bad because they're rich. The warning from Mary is that the rich, the problem is the rich will cling to existing ways of living, clinging to the world views that got them into power, will cling to the values in this culture around them. They will be so busy grabbing what is important to them of the world that they will not let go and embrace Jesus. 
they will not empty themselves in order to be filled with God. Hence, refer back to Jesus' words, blessed are the poor in spirit. Our story on this final Sunday in Advent is a delightful one, reminding us that we cannot pigeonhole God or the way God will work in our lives. The Lord can take what we deem absurd, what you and I think is just nuts, and then craft beauty and meaning and purpose from it. Our story reminds us that when we act rich in our judgment of others, we will be sent away empty without fully understanding or experiencing God's grace. The Magnificat, beloved, the Magnificat is a hedge and a reminder to all of us who are smug in our Christian walk who presume to know all the answers, who knows who God will condemn and damn, and who is in and who is out. My friends, God has a whimsical way of flipping things over, of reversing things. How has God done that in your life? Where has God entered into your biblical story of your own life and flipped it over? What impossible, improbable changes in your life have occurred? What improbable, impossible changes in your life need to occur? Beloved, God is full of whimsical surprises. But in order for you and I to see them, in order for us to experience them, in order for us to be a part of them, then we have to let everything go that we call dear. We've got to let it go so that we can fall back into the waiting arms of Jesus. Beloved, what do you need to let go? Let go of a habit, an attitude, a feeling. What do you need to let go so Jesus can be born in your heart anew? this week. Oh, beloved, listen to the words. Amen. Spirit of God, we give you thanks. You do the totally unexpected. You flip things over on their head. Up is down and down is up. Poor in spirit is to be rich in life. To be humble is greater than to sit on the seats of power of government. 
Holy Spirit, help us to live into that upside-down reversal world and let God do with us like he did with Mary. Do with us, O Lord, what you will. And we, too, will sing you praise. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, beloved.